0: in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Mattathiah Shema Aniah, Uriah Hilkiah and Maseiah on his right hand and Pediah Mishael Malchijah Hashem Hashbanada, Zachariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah The Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them.
1: Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here with you tonight. My name is Matt, and in a moment we're going to be looking at that. But before we do, I want you to think about the best party you've ever been to. Young or old, chances are you've been to a party. Maybe they're your thing, maybe they're not. What do you rate as a good party? What, what makes them great? It might differ for person to person. The the, the greatest party I ever went to was my own 21st. This is not me boasting. I tried an 18th. That was okay. Yeah, I learned some things. (laughs) And so I tried again for my 21st. And I think what made it great for me is because I did the stuff that I thought I'd really enjoy. I had it at my parents' house. Which is not necessarily the great recipe <laughs> to have a great party, but I, I lived out for a few years and I, I decided to go back because they had a place that I felt would allow me to do the things that I wanted to do at the party. Number one, they had a downstairs area, couches, music, food, sort of normal party vibe area, place to chill, place to chat. While I love catching up and chatting to people, I also wanted to do something different. And this is why I picked my parents' house. They had a two-story garage. I've never seen anything like it. It was the most useless thing ever. Who needs a really tall garage? But it made it perfect for this party because we set up a basketball court in there. And sport is another thing I love. I do like to talk to people, but I've always got energy to burn. And so we could get up and just do something at the party. The third reason I picked my parents' house is they had another area as well. And I love music. We set up instruments so that myself, my friends, we could just go in there, we could play, pick up a different instrument, play together. I even wrote a song telling people they should turn to the Lord and be saved. It was a great party, in my opinion, because I got to do the stuff that I love. As I describe that party, you might have the opposite reaction and think, no, that's not my sort of style. Different people, different things. I took my youngest daughter to a birthday party recently, and I was at a roller skating rink. That is not my thing. I didn't even know these places still existed. I haven't been back since I was a kid. I went to the roller skating rink in Geelong. I hope there's only just one. I walked in, all the memories come back. It smells of feet. Teenage boy and sweat and urine. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I did check that they were right, me leaving my child there before I left. And the dad said, this, that's totally okay. This is my daughter's dream. This is her third party here. I wouldn't go once. <laughs> Parties can be quite individual things. What appeals to you? What would you enjoy? It probably says something about you and what you value. And tonight as we look at Nehemiah 8, ultimately it's about a party, a great gathering of people, a celebration. But I think it's a bit of a surprise party, not because anyone was surprised, they didn't know it was happening, but because some of the things in there might surprise us. As we work through it, you might go, "Wow, well, I don't think that would be my choice of something to do at a party. And that might reveal something about us all. We're therefore going to look at Nehemiah 8 and see a couple of surprises, and then we're going to move into the New Testament with one last surprise for us all. And so it'd be really helpful if you have it open there in your Bibles or on your phone, Nehemiah 8. We're in a series, as you've seen, called Rebuild. We spent six weeks in the Old Testament book of Ezra where we saw that God called his people and taught them how to worship him. They built a temple, and Ezra the priest taught from there how to worship God every day as as we live. We've now spent six weeks in the sequel, Nehemiah. And to give you a quick rundown of what we've seen there, in chapter one, we saw that Nehemiah felt called to build a, a city wall to protect Jerusalem and the temple that was there now. In chapter 1, he prayed to God about it. Chapter 2, he asked, he shared the vision. Chapter 3, we hear those who responded to build the wall. Chapters 4, 5 and 6, despite great opposition, the wall is done. So what now? Chapter 7, verse 4. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. The wall's up, the city's safe, it's time to go home. It's time to rebuild houses and move back in to God's holy city. And when they've done this, chapter 8, verse 1, where our Bible reading started, we're told, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses. Great gathering. All these people getting together, what are they going to do to party? Bible reading. It's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? What I think is even more surprising, you might think, well, that makes sense, God's people reading God's word. It's just how long it goes. Did you notice that? Ezra the priest is teaching them, uh, reading the word in verse 2. Verse 3, he did it from early in the morning to midday. By Jewish reckoning, that was probably six hours. I don't know if I could stand still that long. And do you notice in verse 5, that's what they were doing. They had to stand up. He opened the book, everyone stood up, and there's no indication they sat down again. It is a readathon. Does that appeal to you as a, as a gathering, as, as, a, as a party? Be honest. How appealing is Bible reading in general? <laughs> a bit of a mix for me, if I'm honest. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I can't wait to do it. Other times it feels like a real chore. I don't know how you go with reading the Bible, but if you're like me, let me offer some advice. Some things that I've learned over the years about how I can uh, enjoy reading the Bible a bit more. Not for six hours necessarily, but nonetheless do a bit better. Reading the Bible is about a person, not a program. Sometimes I feel that I've got to read the Word because that's what my Bible reading program says. I follow a program because otherwise I think, oh, where might I go? And I read the Bible through a year. And sometimes I sit here and think, oh, man, it's just getting away from me. I didn't do it yesterday. didn't do it the day before. I've just got to catch up. Or maybe you sometimes feel like the Bible is a bit of a program for earning God's approval. If I read the Bible, that pleases him. I want to please God. But the Bible's about a person. Meeting with that person. Spending time, enjoying your relationship with God himself. The most popular person in my family is my wife. There was a day this week, I kid you not, where I feel for two hours, Mom! Mom! Mom, mom, mom. It just didn't stop. Maybe if you're a parent, a mum, you know that feeling. Can you go to the toilet without someone disturbing you? Everyone wants to spend time with mom. Everyone wants to share what they're doing with mom. Are we like that with our heavenly father? Wanting to spend time with him not just get a program read, you know, do the Bible reading, tick that box, let's move on to other things. The God who created this universe has written you a message. Does it bring you joy to read it? Some people have once said that the Bible is like God's love letter to us. If someone who loved you dearly wrote you a love letter, you just don't go thanks and leave it on the shelf. (laughs) You read it. If it's a good one, you reread it. This is a good one. God has written you a letter assuring you of his love. Which brings me to my next bit of advice. It should be a joy and not a duty. And honestly, if you struggle reading the word... Tell someone. I ran some sort of Bible reading training, I guess, recently, and I will personally give you my word, as I'm sure other faces as I look around will. We would love to read the word with you. My youngest daughter really struggles to read the word. She says, I just don't get it. I don't get much out of it. Let's do it together. Reading the word is about meeting with a person. It's not doing a program. It should be a joy and not a duty. If anyone here can help you with that, let us know. First surprise, this is a long Bible reading party. Second one, did you notice in the Bible reading how everyone responded? (laughs) It was like they had a big, long church service, lots of Bible reading, but it's also they had a gospel community. Did you notice that? There was a bunch of names in there. I love that Barney was mentioned. And they actually met around these guys who explained God's word to them. And everyone's response? Sobbing. Now, I've actually never had a party since my 21st. When you get it right, why bother doing it again? But I do know enough that if I ran a party and everyone left weeping and grieving, (laughs) I've done something terribly wrong. Next week, we're going to find out why they responded in this way. Because sometimes that's appropriate. God's word says to us, there is a time for mourning and a time for rejoicing. But we're told here in verse, I can never read that, uh, verse 13, I think it is. Anyway, you guys have your Bibles, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong. No, definitely wrong. Verse 9, Nehemiah and Ezra said, no, 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 it's not time for the sobs. Dry your eyes. It's time to celebrate. That sort of struck me as I read this passage. There is a time to celebrate. Do you do it? I've really enjoyed meeting with Pastor Don here over the last year who's been teaching me a lot about things like spiritual disciplines. I know these things, I've heard of them, but Don's actually opened my eyes. There's more than I thought. Read the Bible, that's a spiritual discipline because it can be hard. Praying to the Lord, same. Celebration is one. Do you regularly set time aside to reflect on the goodness of God and to praise him? In the old days, they used to refer to this as counting your blessings. I don't really do that. I'm too busy. Even in the church, we move from one project to the next. We're, we're organizing this event and we've got another one coming up. Do we take time out and just stop and go, God, you are so good? Thank you for that. Bible reading. Maybe it's a bit difficult. Regular praise and worship sessions. The ancient Israelites used to actually schedule these things. Do we? Third surprise. That's there in verse 13. I knew there was a verse 13 coming up. <laughs> these guys read the Bible all day, been told, stop your sobbing, time to celebrate. And then in verse 13, on the second day, they came together again in order to study the words of the law. Verse 14, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses, the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast. What? Just to remind you, these guys have completed the city wall Their houses have now been built, and rather than dwelling in their beautiful new houses, they set up cubby houses. They camp out on the roof of their new house. School holidays, one of my kids had a sleepover this week, and so the kids played on the Nintendo, they went out in the backyard, they they do all those things, and they build a cubby. You know how they look. It's like a pillow fort. The, the cushions off the couch are put around, there's blankets over the top. These guys are commanded by God to do this, but with tree branches. That's a little unusual, right? I love camping. Is there more going on here? Of course there is. Here's why God would command such a thing. Last year, we spent some time in the Bible looking at the book of Exodus When God called his people out to himself, God rescued them from evil oppression. God set them free to live with him, to dwell with him. And as they wandered round the desert, they lived in tents, makeshift shelters, And God set up this festival, this feast, this party, and he said, I want you to do this every year. Remember when I won you for myself? Remember when we all used to camp out together and I was in the center, literally, in my own holy tent or tabernacle? Relive that every year. Remember how I saved you. And so these people are obviously reading that passage of the Bible and they're thinking, haven't done that, it's time to do it. And it was very appropriate that they partied in this way because they had done something very similar themselves. They had just been rescued from exile. They had been sent from God's presence because of their sin and God had gathered them back to himself. And they're saying, here's something we should be doing and it's entirely fitting that, Lord God, we celebrate what you have done for us. Is it something that we should do then? Hands up if you've gone back to Jerusalem and pitched a tent on a roof of someone's house there doesn't happen, does it? Nonetheless, this idea comes up in three different ways in the New Testament. The first one is no surprise. It says that Jesus has done this for us. The Gospel of John Is actually written in a way that it fulfills all these Old Testament feasts and festivals and parties that the ancient Israelites had. Remember, I said they they had these regular things. And in John chapter 1, this gathering here, this party is referred to. It says that Jesus tented among us, he tabernacled, he sent up a temporary shelter. The Son of God came down from heaven to live amongst us for a short time, to have his own exodus, to experience exile on our behalf, to rescue us, to deliver us from evil oppression, so that we too might belong to the Lord God. And a bit later in the Gospel of John, The festival is actually happening in chapter 7. And Jesus says, this is all about me. (laughs) You've got your bright light shining. I'm the light of the world. You guys have got the liquids flowing. I will give you the Holy Spirit, the living water. Jesus fulfilled this party for us so that we don't have to do it every year. But that's just the first reference the way this is used in the New Testament. The second way says that in some ways we do have to celebrate this. In 2 Corinthians 5, it it links what Jesus has done. He tented among us. He dwelled temporarily with us. And it says we need to think of ourselves in the same way. Folks, we don't belong here. There's more to come. We just sang about it. (laughs) We need to consider our bodies as tents, as temporary dwellings. Because one day, 2 Corinthians 5 says, we're going to be given our real home, (laughs) a new resurrection body. We will be rebuilt. (laughs) Now, while I get that, I've got to admit, I find that a bit hard to sort of picture, a bit hard to understand. Lots of times in the New Testament, heaven is pictured as a party, a banquet, a never-ending feast. And I love food, but I still find it so hard to sort of imagine, well, what exactly are we going to be doing? Eating for all eternity? <laughs> A never-ending worship session, cool, but won't that get a bit old? You might know the reference, cloud goes up, cloud goes down. Like, are we really just going to be disembodied people doing what forever? And that's where the third reference to this party happens in the Bible. It helps me understand it. It's in Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God will now be with man. He will dwell, the word there again, tabernacle, tent, temporarily dwell with us. Hang on a sec. Won't we live with God forever? Why does it say he'll sort of temporarily tabernacle with us, tent with us, camp out with us? Well, to understand it, in verse 1 of chapter 21 of Revelation, it actually says God is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. The Christian hope is not to dwell with God forever in heaven. Does that surprise you? It surprised me when I first heard that. I thought that was wrong. (laughs) I read a book, though, called Surprised by Hope, and there it helped me to see that, yes, we will go to heaven when we die. If we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be with the Lord. We will dwell with him temporarily. Our hope as Christians is not to be a spirit or an angel or floating around in heaven. It's actually the one day God will give us a new earth and he will dwell with us there. 21 verse 2, I heard a loud voice. Oh, no, that's that's verse 3 again. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. We so often have the, the direction reversed. God won't just rebuild a new body for me, and God knows I need one. I'm getting old. (laughs) He's going to rebuild the entire earth a place where there'll be no more tears, no more death, no more suffering, but also all the good things we love and enjoy. Let's be honest, life is good. We live in a beautiful part of the world. God's going to restore it and remove all the sin. That I can celebrate. That I can get excited about. Imagine this world, as great as it is, even better for eternity. Bring it on. And so I must ask you, Does it excite you? (laughs) There is going to be a never ending party of joy one day. I pray soon. (laughs) You've been invited. Have you RSVP'd? Have you accepted the gracious invitation? to live with our heavenly Father forever, to enjoy his fellowship, to to love and walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not into touch, but I imagine doing that hand in hand. I want to see the guy and I want to touch him. Are you excited? For after all, we're living in booths. Temporary dwelling places. And one day we'll go home to be with our Lord God forever. Let me pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that for centuries you wrote a message to us and for millennia you have preserved it so that we might read it. Knowing of your love, May we spend time with you regularly. May we delight in your word. May we read it so we might not be surprised by things we come across, but so that we might know indeed even more the good things you have in store for us one day. And Lord God, we pray too that you will just help us get excited by it. New resurrection bodies, a new restored world. Lord Jesus, Speed on the day. We ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.